Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity where we talk about design, development and all other crazy sorts of stuff that we find online. Basically, the Nerd Continuity is your weekly tech updates and this week, as usual, we have a lot of techy and nerdy updates, so let's jump right into it by checking a really interesting article that I found on Smashy Magazine and if you don't follow Smashy Magazine or you're not subscribed to their RSS feed, I really suggest you to do it because it's a a pretty good resources of interesting articles, interesting facts, sometimes they um, talk about tutorials or they explain something like really specific, uh, mostly for coding design or all the mobile app environment, it's really good. I found this article called Why You Should Stop Installing Your Web Dev Environment Locally. This is really interesting because I've always been, since the beginning, um, interested in finding a solution to avoid to create a local environment. So a local environment, if you don't know what it is, I, I did um, a tutorial about Windows on how to install Apache, MySQL, uh, PHP, and uh, all the other, all these good stuff in your machine to create a sort of fake online server. So a local environment is not just for web development. For example, if you want to create a web application, if you want to create a native application, if you want to create a software for Linux or a software coded in Python, or you want to create a new game, you need some specific packages, some specific libraries, and a specific environment, a specific operating system that has, it contains all those stuff, all those source codes and source packages that you need to run or test your application. The problem with a local environment is that if, for example, you create a web app uh, based on simply like Cordova, PHP and MySQL, you create your local environment, you install everything, you code your app, it's done perfect. Three months has passed, now you have to create another app. So you have to reconfigure another local environment with the same uh, packages, with the same stuff, but maybe those packages have been updated. And now if you update those packages in your local environment, are, those updates are gonna break your previous app, but if you don't update, you cannot do your new app. And if you have another type of completely different project, for example, you have to create something in Python, or you wanna create a native app to run on Linux, so you need some specific libraries and specific dependencies, you have to install again a completely different local environment with a completely different set of packages. And imagine this doing it for like one year on how many projects, how many apps or how many uh, local installation you have to do to like work daily and imagine your computer at the end of this year. Like it's gonna be a super bloated operating system with a lot of uh, non-supported uh, dependencies anymore, maybe deprecated and you cannot update it because those updates could break previously generated apps and all this kind of like pretty crazy stuff that it's kind of normal. So since the beginning, since I started doing local hosting, local environment, I always try to find an alternative, a good alternative to manually configure, manually set up your local environment. And 
Don't get me wrong, local environment, it's absolutely important, it's absolutely necessary. As a freelance developer, you cannot physically afford a machine like a server with specific settings for each of your applications or sometimes you cannot even afford a server for your own website where you can experiment something. So you are kind of forced to maintain your costs really close to zero and a local environment is the easiest thing to do. But with all the problems that I just told you, finding a better solution would be like much appreciated to manage properly all these different installations, all the, these different environments and avoid to mess around with it. So the um, solution that a couple of years ago, I think like five or 10 years ago, uh, five or 10 years ago, long distance. So I don't really know when we started doing it, but the, the suggested solution was to use a virtual machine. So a virtual machine, is um, a simulated operating system that you can install in your current operating system. So for example, I'm on an Apple computer, I'm on Mac OS X, I wanna code, I wanna develop an application for Windows, I need a virtual machine that simulates the Windows environment with C++, Visual, Visual Studio, and all the good stuff, all this kind of a crazy sort of code that you need, but in order to do that, I had to install a virtual machine that I can open in a pop-up window or in a desktop window, whatever, and use my uh, Mac, my personal computer, as a Windows machine without installing actually a Windows operating system in a partition or something. Virtual machines are pretty good, but the problem is that um, a sort of layer in between the virtual machine and your actual operating system, your actual operating system. So like imagine having your local environment that in order to, to use it fully function has to uh, access and has to use the resources of your computer. So CPU, memory, ac graphic acceleration if you're doing games, but in between this connection, the local environment and your computer specs, there's a gap, there's a layer of separation. That's the uh, weird issue that the common issue of virtual machine. A virtual machine cannot fully access your computer specs, your computer resources, because it's a separated, virtualized environment that is not physically installed and cannot access physically all your hardware. So there's, it's kind of gimmicky, it's kind of slow, it's pretty heavy, and especially the fact that a virtual machine needs the installation of the full operating system. So if I wanna have a virtual machine with Windows, I have to install Windows completely. So I will occupy my hard drive with at least 10 gigabyte of Windows stuff just to deploy an application, maybe code an application that is 200 megabytes. That's pretty insane. So we have a new solution that it's a couple of years old, but it's getting better and better every day. And this article on Machine Magazine, it's is explaining thoroughly all the um, history about local environment, virtual machines, and this new method with a bunch of like kind of weird uh, ontology about containment and shipping and stuff like, I mean, it's interesting, but just completely skip the first part and go to the uh, good stuff that is the Docker's container. So 
Docker is this new open source application that can create independent packages container with all the thing that you need. So all the dependencies, source code, app, operating system, but not the real operating system, only the source code, only the specific packages that you need to virtually run that operating system without creating a virtual machine. So it creates this container, it, they're, they're actually called Docker's containers. It, doc, the, the Docker creates this container that runs on your machine like it was an app, but it simulates your environment like it was a virtual machine. And this is mind blowing. Like I, I really don't understand how it works. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's kind of like weird magic, but it's, it's totally awesome. And I'm experimenting recently with this one. I'm trying still to find a proper workflow to integrate it in my daily work, but it's pretty great. And if you're interested, like first, this article's machine magazine explains how to install Docker toolbox, how to configure and how to clone a specific package and start like making weird shit. But if you wanna know more about Docker, I suggest you to check the docker.com website and the explanation of Docker, it's pretty straightforward inside the what is Docker uh, page and the comparison that Docker, how Docker is different from a virtual machine is pretty self-explanatory. So you don't actually have uh, one single operating system or guest OS per app with its own dependency, but you have just one simulated operating system attached to the Docker engine that runs directly in your infrastructure without any layer, without any separations and any gaps. So you have these, we have this new method, this Docker thing that it gives us the ability to create a self-contained independent package that we can install or simply copy paste a touch on every operating system and it's not gonna destroy your actual computer. And this is amazing for another reason, because recently at my work, I had this brutal experience of taking care of a project that was going on uh, since 2014 or 2013. So it was an almost three years old project uh, from another company. It was a gigantic, gigantic e-commerce website. And the client, of course, decided to switch uh, provider decided to switch digital agency and hired us to take care of it. The problem is that the previous developers, they uh, created this local environment in their servers, in their machines to code all this stuff and then deploy online. And this local environment was so convoluted, so full of deprecated dependencies and deprecated source code that I couldn't Physically, there was no way in hell for me to recreate the same environment. So what I ended up doing, I ended up getting all the source code, getting older dependencies or their uh, older settings for the local environment. And I tried for days and days, I spent actually five days to manually recreate and optimize a local environment on my machine. And now the freaking, e-commerce works on my local environment. The problem with this process is that if, for example, 
in a week or maybe tomorrow we uh, hire another developer that has to work on this specific project there's no way there's no easy way for me to quickly set up or ship a, a package like a self-contained package to say okay you can work on this because i have to redo the same thing i did on my machine i have to reconfigure manually a local environment with all those weird settings and all those kind of destroying stuff is just just insane and that's the major problem that pretty much everyone is encountering right now it's it's a pretty standard issue that you have if you work on really complicated applications and you need to set up your local environment in a specific way if you move from your machine to another you're fucked even if your machine needs an update or you need to refresh your drive, like format it, and you need to reinstall everything, it's just insane. It's just like freaking terrible. With Docker, you can do all this weird stuff that you need to do. You download all your dependencies, you configure your setup, all this kind of stuff, but you have this container. And with Docker, you can create the export, the image of the container and just tell to another developer, okay, install this image on your machine and you're ready to go. Because it's a self-contained container with everything inside and you don't need to set up or hook anything to your operating system. You just use the image, you clone the image on your, on your system and you're done. So, way to go. Moving on, we have an update related to WordPress. So Jetpack 4.0 was released on April 22nd of 2016. Uh, right now we are already at uh, Jetpack 4.0.2. They released a new update to fix a bunch of bugs. Do you remember what I said during the last episode? Why I always wait <laughs> to update WordPress when they release a major uh, number change so 4.0 it's kind of okay maybe I'm gonna wait in fact right now we have a 4.0.2 they fixed a bunch of bugs and now I update and pretty safe um, have you ever used Jetpack it's pretty great basically Jetpack is a collection of all the basic plugins or standard configurations that you should use in every installation, in every WordPress installation. I'm surprised that all these stuff are not fully integrated inside WordPress by default as like a pre-made package, but I can understand why because Jetpack is pretty big. It's not like, it's almost as big as WordPress as a plugin. So imagine having WordPress integrated constantly with Jetpack that would require a lot of maintenance, a lot of updates. So having the two packages separated is kind of good, but Jetpack 4 introduces a lot of new stuff. First, introduces a, a more connected compatibility with the customizer API that also here, all the widgets uh, automatically refresh in the customizer window in the preview window. And you don't need to refresh the entire page if you update a widget. Jetpack now has those pre-made widgets that they update automatically. Uh, a lot of improvements for the WooCommerce type of sharing, video press, uh, performance improvements, bug fixes, a lot of new option to uh, customize the widget visibility. But let's take a look on my backend. So I personally use WordPress 
uh, Jetpack, the Jetpack plugin of WordPress since version 2.3, I think it's pretty great. It has pretty much all the plugins that without Jetpack I would have been forced to install because they're pretty great. It comes also with a pre-built uh, sort of CDN from WordPress called Photon. So if you have a heavy image, uh, if you're uploading something, if you don't know if your client is gonna upload massive images, activate Jetpack, activate Photon, and it's gonna boost a lot the performances of your website from image optimization point of view. In order to use Jetpack, you need a WordPress.org account, and you have to connect the Jetpack dynamically to your WordPress.org account. This connection will give you access to a lot of cool features like in-depth analytics, new commenting system, new commenting dashboard, and all this kind of good stuff. But here inside Jetpack, as you can see, we have a huge list of settings and stuff that you can manually activate. And I pretty much activated everything because even if I don't use them, sometimes I activate and I check how is the source code and how it works. But the cool thing about Jetpack is that it's developed by the same developers of WordPress. So the integration with WordPress is seamless. There's no issues, there's no compatibility issues. They get updated pretty much during the same time. If there's a new release of WordPress, consequentially you have a new release of Jetpack. And the list of plugin or if like we can call it settings and integrations is pretty extensive. I really suggest you to take a look, especially boosts a lot of commenting section that by default WordPress has a really weak commenting section. You have the option of the infinite scroll built in inside here. So you can potentially use this one and not follow my tutorial that it works really bad. It works way better this one than those of my tutorials. You can activate JSON API, so you can manually retrieve uh, information and manually retrieve data through the JSON API on your website from a third-party application and all this kind of good stuff. Really, take a look. You should really use Jetpack. Like everyone should use Jetpack independently of the type of website they're developing. It's not just only for blogs or only for business related um, websites. It's for everyone. It boosts a lot of performances of WordPress. It adds a lot of dependency. It, add a lot, it adds a lot of uh, libraries to a lot of different separated JavaScript library. Let me show you what I mean. If we access the front end of my website and we view the page source. Scroll down, look at this. So all these stuff from Jetpack, every time you activate a specific module, Jetpack has a completely separated JavaScript and CSS file related to that module. So yeah, as you can see, we have a lot of inline code created by Jetpack, a lot of plugins activated and a lot of JavaScript inclusion created by Jetpack. We have also a bunch of CSS specifically created by Jetpack. They're not too heavy. I mean, you have to decide by yourself if it's worth it or not. But in my opinion, it's really worth it. Even if it bloats a little bit, not too much. It's not gonna make your website super bloated but even if it increases a lot, a little bit the 
HTTP requests for different type of files. The cons of having Jetpack Activity are really great and you should really use it, check it out. Of course, it's completely free, like everything. So activate it, test it out, have fun. And if you don't like it, you can delete it. But it's pretty cool. It's really pretty cool. I really like it. Speaking about updates, there's a new version of Bootstrap coming out soon and it's Bootstrap 4.0. Right now, Bootstrap 4 is in alpha. They are still developing as they're polishing. I tested out, it's pretty sweet. They completely switched the grid system from a standard grid system to a Flexbox based grid system. They improved a lot the JavaScript side of Bootstrap that sometimes is kind of heavy and they polished a little bit all the pretty much solidified and consistent classes that they have. It's not gonna be a major update like it was from the version 2.x to version three. Like that jump when basically they rebuilt completely everything. Bootstrap 3 was a full rebuild. It was terrible, like migrating from Bootstrap 2 to Bootstrap 3. It was like, like you had to sacrifice a pygmy goat to uh, Satan in order to update it properly. But Bootstrap 4 is just an improvement. They found a pretty sweet type of uh, classes and management of packages, container and components. So. The logic behind it is pretty identical, but they improved a lot of performances. And there's this sweet, sweet user, a programmer that made an interactive bootstrap cheat sheet that we can use it. And we're gonna love it, as this article says. So if we access this um, nice website, that is hawkerthemes.com slash forward slash bootstrap hyphen cheat sheet, and the developer is Alexander Recksteiner. And thank you so much, Alexander. Everyone that starts a name with Alex is just the best. Don't you agree? Anyway, let me remove my face from the screen and let's take a look at it here. Here we have the full list of all the classes and all the, um, all the components and all the sections that Bootstrap uh, comes with and if you click on one for example the other success you're gonna have a bottom container with the code snippet that is showing you the HTML source code in order to use that and then on the side the preview so every time you select a group container or a button or a form a media object or a table you're gonna have on the left at the bottom this fixed container you're gonna have on the left, the code snippet with the full explanation of how you should write the code in order to properly use that specific bootstrap class. And on the side, the full preview on what's gonna look like if you use it in this way. And it's, it's just great. It's pretty straightforward, it's pretty simple. And you don't have any weird stuff. It's just click check the source code, check how it works. And of course, all the uh, JavaScript stuff are uh, properly working. So if we open the dropdown, if we activate a dropdown and we click on the preview of the dropdown, of course the dropdown works because it's connected to JavaScript of Bootstrap. And this is a pretty good resources. If you ever use Bootstrap, how many times you found yourself inside the Bootstrap documentation looking for that specific source code for that specific integration. 
Something that it's missing in this cheat sheet that probably I think the user, the developer is going to implement it is the ability to um, merge multiple classes and use multiple classes at the same time. For example, if I want to use a navbar plus a navbar light, I cannot use it. So I can just select and click just one single class container, one single class, and I cannot combine multiple class that it's one of the strength of bootstrap you can combine multiple class and they're not going to interfere with each other but all the classes of bootstrap they've made to work together pretty much seamlessly so that's a good stuff that's a really good thing another thing that would be nice if it's the code snippet on the left side would be would have been customizable uh, so if you would have been able to write inside this code snippet container and see the preview update in real time every time you write the code so you can implement and integrate your custom stuff or change the structure and see what's going on. But I guess this kind of stuff you can do it on codepan.io or all the other type of real-time code editor that you can find for free. But this is a pretty good resources. Right now, Bootstrap 4 is in alpha 2. Uh, the developing of Bootstrap, it's kind of weird. The releasing of Bootstrap is kind of weird because every time there's a new version, they release the alpha version and the alpha version stays there for months. Like no one touches it. <laughs> you keep using it, you keep chatting the source code and it's still on alpha and then one day they release the release candidate and the day after they release the final version. There's no like a uh, consistent or a common uh, development kind of history, kind of workflow, like development dates of release. So you don't have the alpha, beta, final beta, release candidate, and then the release. Sometimes it jumps from alpha to final release after three months without you even seeing a beta or something like that. But I guess because Bootstrap 4 is heavily based on Bootstrap 3, the current version is 3.4.4, I think, um, they don't have to do a full complete rebuild. So they're pretty safe to use that structure as a starting structure by implementing and improving a little bit of things. So. Also, this way, as also about this, I suggest you to check it out and don't overuse it. <laughs> don't use Bootstrap as a theme kind of thing, like a UI package. It's not a UI package. You shouldn't use Bootstrap without updating it or without applying your own kind of skin on top. Bootstrap is good for fast prototyping or if you want to use the grid system or some pre-made drop-down or kind of stuff. I, As you can see from my tutorial, I heavily use Bootstrap on pretty much the entire website. But if you take a look at my website, the first thing that you notice is this thing doesn't look like that it's based on Bootstrap. So that that's the thing about Bootstrap. If you use it and you don't customize it to create your own style, it's gonna your website is gonna look lame and bad and it's just like, oh, this guy is just using a Bootstrap. Like it happened when they first released the version two of Bootstrap. Everyone was using Bootstrap. We got tired of Bootstrap in three months. And now if for a developer, if you use Bootstrap, you're considered kind of lame. Consider, ah, oh, you're lazy. You don't wanna use your own code. You don't wanna create your own grid. Yes, I want, and actually I do it, but from some specific project, 
the bootstrap source code it's great as far as you don't abuse it so use it but don't abuse it i love these rhymes i love this verse the last news of the day is uh, a bit of a rant <laughs> and a bit of a useless thing. Another article from Smashing Magazine. I really like these guys of Smashing Magazine, but sometimes they give too much emphasis on something that shouldn't be considered really, really great. So we have this article titled, Finally, CSS in JavaScript meet CSSX. What the hell? <laughs> First reaction, what the hell? First, why you have to write CSS in JavaScript? Why you cannot inject a class? If you have to manually write CSS in JavaScript, you can do it with the CSS property, but you shouldn't abuse it also in this way. You, you cannot write a full CSS declaration. You have, if you want to use it, sometimes I use it too, to like dynamically update or connect a specific class or style or attribute of CSS based on the windows location or the scrolling location, this kind of stuff. But you should affect one, two, maybe three attributes. That's it. You you can't freaking write an entire CSS declaration or CSS file in JavaScript. Why you want to do that? But anyway, let's take a look on how this thing works. So if we check, the concept is really insane. So the concept is just like you declare a variable in JavaScript and then this variable you add with a specific function CSS declaration inside this new variable and then you print the variable like it was a CSS. That's crazy. That's just, just insane. I'm just like, oh. This looks like a really cool experiment, like uh, a developer, I, I can't find the name of the developer that created this, but this this guy, um, actually, let me check the GitHub repo that probably we have the name. Okay, we have the nickname is Krasimir, and this guy is, is Krasimir Tsonev. Okay, hello, dude, you're awesome, because you created this thing that it's mind-blowing, it's amazing. It's a really dope experiment and it, it's really fantastic that you were able to achieve this, but this should remain an experiment. This shouldn't be used daily on your project. Why we have to merge codes? Why we have to use CSS inside JavaScript? What's what's the what's the purpose? What's the what are the benefits? Uh, is it gonna speed up our process? Is it gonna be is it gonna turn the code more maintainable? Or is it gonna just mismatch everything together and you don't have any more a clear separation of your source? Why? We are going a lot at pretty much every developer or every like source code are pushing a lot towards a template-based type of system where you have your PHP, for example, completely separated by HTML. And if you want to integrate some variable in PHP, you don't use anymore even PHP. Use a template system like Moustaches or like Timber or Twig to print 
your PHP script in HTML without actually using PHP. So everything is fully separated. Why, if we're going towards the way, we need a method that gives us the ability to write a code inside another code. It, it's like writing C++ in Java. It's just mind blowing. It's just why you have to do that. It looks like it's gonna just destroy your brain. Like all these examples are great, but all these examples are five lines of code six lines of code and that's it you do small updates and you you tweak small elements can you imagine these on a standard css file or a standard css declaration and as i repeated if you have to update just small amount of css through javascript you can already do it but you shouldn't really do it like should be limited as much as possible. And it's also another type of scripting. So we are writing JavaScript, but we're writing JavaScript in a weird way to accept CSS. And it's it's confusing, convoluted, and you shouldn't do it. And yes, I don't know. I won't use it. If you want, you can check it out, but especially updating CSS in line dynamically with JavaScript, it's pretty heavy on your CPU, so why you wanna do that? Um, I'm handing this episode with a rant, like I don't understand why you wanna do it, but the, I mean, it's impressive, really. I, I'm impressed that this guy was able to achieve this result. It's a really amazing technical result, but it's hyper convoluted. The web should be simple. We should go, we should move everyone towards a more simpler way of doing things, a more streamlined code that everyone can understand, everyone can use it. And it reduces more and more the heaviness of writing something custom or using another dependencies library. So now in order to use CSS, Inside JavaScript, you need, a, you need another library, while CSS is natively accepted and recognized by all the browsers. Why I need another library to use a CSS that is natively already recognized? That's something that really, okay, good stuff, but let's not use it, let's forget it. It's a good example, it's a good, I don't know, for study purposes, for to improve your skills, and it's just amazing, but let's not use it anymore. Let's just forget about it, like, please. Anyway, it's pretty much it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, as usual, give it a thumbs up, and of course, leave a comment below. Let me know if you actually test some of this stuff out. I did it, and I really like the bootstrap type of stuff, and I really love the Docker, where the Docker is going. You should really try that, but let me know your doubts and thoughts, and we can increase, and we can have a nice, good conversation below. So I think that's it. Thank you guys for watching, and Talk to you next one, and as usual, happy nerding, happy nerding.